Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us as we get an opportunity to sit under the Word of God uh, this evening. Our passage this evening is Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56, as I continue uh, making my way through uh, the chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, as I get the opportunity to preach. So I'd invite you to open up your Bibles. We don't have a handout this evening. Uh, We're going to just use our Bibles and work through these verses. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56 is going to be our passage this evening. Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56. And as we begin, I want you to think with me about the word remember. Remember. When we remember something, we call something to mind. We jog our memories about something either we once knew or maybe something we experienced. Okay, sometimes when we come to this word remember or how it plays out in our lives is we reminisce. Okay, you think about things that have happened in your past, maybe just a year ago or maybe for some of you 50 years ago. You reminisce about family get-togethers, maybe pranks you pulled, maybe accomplishments, monumental changes in your life. We often like to remember things that happened in the past, and we like to retell the stories to other people to share them, um, share them with those that weren't there, um, or talk about, with it, talk about them with people that were there. And even sometimes we like to compare maybe those past memories to the present, or we like to think of what-ifs. What if this would have happened? How would have it played out? So that's one way that this word remember plays out in our life. We reminisce. We call, to, we call to mind things that happened in the past. But another time this word remember plays a key part in our life is when we're trying to recall something or we don't want to forget something. This more so happens on a daily basis. You need to do something and you forget to do it. Or someone tells you something and you completely forget what they told you. You go to tell something to someone and you completely lose your train of thought. I had this happen just the other day. I still can't remember what I wanted to tell uh, that person. So often we forget responsibilities, we forget plans, we forget things that people tell us, we forget what we were going to say, so we need to be reminded so that we can remember. And I bring up this word remember because it plays a key part in our passage this evening. Actually, three times this word remember is mentioned in our passage this evening. And even if you scan through the passage of Psalm 119, 49 through 56, um, you'll see several instances of this word remember. And actually, just to point out for us, if you have the ESV translation, which I think many of you have, um, you actually will only see this word remember twice because the ESV translates it into a different um, word or phrase. The NAS, the King James, use this word remember three times, and I think they do well to do so. So look with me at these instances where we find this word remember. The first one is in the very first verse, Psalm 119, verse 49. It says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. So there's our first instance of this word remember. Look with me uh, at verse 52. We find the second instance, though, with a different uh, phrase. It says, when I think of, or this is the same word as remember in verse 49. It says, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, 
O Lord. And then skip down to verse 55. Psalm 119.55 says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. So this is a psalm about remembering. About remembering the Word of God. This is a psalm that revolves around these three instances of this word, remember. And that's how we're going to outline this passage this evening. Um, And we're going to break it down into three sections. And each of these verses that have this word, remember, is going to be the first verse of each section. So I'd like to begin by reading our passage through just to give us a full understanding of what's said in Psalm 119, 49 through 56. Then we'll look at the theme of this passage and then we'll take it section by section as it's signaled by this word, remember. So look with me at verse 49 as we read this passage. It says, Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. So the theme or the main idea of this section of Psalm 119 is that when the psalmist calls to mind the Word of God, we see he gets comfort and is committed to it. Again, that's when the psalmist calls to mind or remembers the Word of God, we see he gets first comfort and then second is committed to it. So we see the psalmist begins by calling God to remember his Word. And we find this first section takes up Psalm 119 verses 49 through 51. And when we began discussing this section of Psalm 119 in the very beginning, and specifically the word remember, I was having you think about our remembering. Often, our remembering, and I think you guys could agree, is not perfect. When we think back on things, we might convolute them. We might think things happen a little differently than they actually happen. We forget things. We need reminders so that we remember our plans and commitments and responsibilities But we see here the psalmist in this discussion of remembering doesn't start with our remembering, but he begins with God. He calls God to remember or to call to mind his word. If you look again at verse 49, verse 49 says, Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. So we might ask, is the psalmist thinking that God has forgotten his word? Just like we might forget something we are to do or something we promise to do. Is that the idea here? That God can forget, so we must remind him. We must call him to remember. And I'd say, no, not at all. That's not the idea here. This word is being used differently than he uses it later in this section of Psalm 119. Here with God, the psalmist is simply asking God to do what he said he would do. He's saying, God, you said you would do this. So please do it. It's what he did in the last section of Psalm 119. If you look at verse 41, so in in the previous section to ours, verse 41 says something very similar that we find in verse 49. 41 says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. So in verse 41, he said, God, show me your mercy. Deliver me from the situation I'm in just as you've promised. 
He had said, God, keep your word. So what the psalmist is asking when we come to verse 49 is like when a parent makes a promise to their child. They might say, if you ace this test, I'll buy you a dog. The child aces the test, and the child goes to their parent and asks for the dog. They're calling their parent to remember their word, to do what they said they would do, to do what they promised to do. So by saying in verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope, the psalmist is not believing that God has somehow forgotten, but he's also not doubting God. He's not questioning God, but rather we see the psalmist's faith and trust and even hope in God's word as he says again, if you look at verse 49, remember your word to your servant, and then he says, in which you have made me hope. This is a verse that shows us the psalmist's faith, and his word shines forth from this, from this verse. We see the faith, his faith shines forth from this verse. He believes what God has promised, he will definitely do. And further, we see this is something that God instilled in him. If you look again, it says, remember your word to your servant, and then it says, in which you have made me hope. He's saying, you, God, have made me trust and hope in your word. That when God saved him, he gave him a reliance and a trust in the word of God. This was something that only God could bring about in his life, in his sinful heart. But we see here that the psalmist has to exercise that reliance, that trust, that faith. And we see he does here by praying to God and asking God to do what he has said he would do in his word. So for some application, I'd like to just stop and pause for a moment and consider how this applies to us. Think about your prayer life. What do you usually ask God for? What things do you request of God? Are you like the psalmist who prays and asks for things that are in the Word of God? Do you see what God has promised and you ask God to fulfill these things? Or is your prayers and requests more focused on maybe what you desire? And what you want without any concern with what God has said in his word. And also you may be wondering what is it that he's asking God to do as we move on in the passage and we think about what he's exactly saying. And we see this in the next verse and it's very similar to what we found in the section before as we've already read verse 41. So as we consider the psalmist's request for God to remember his word, we come to verse 40. Verse 50, if you'd look with me there. Verse 50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Here we get the setting. So we think about what's going on as the psalmist writes this section of Psalm 119. And we see the situation or the setting, we could say, is simply suffering. Okay, as he says, This is my comfort in my affliction. That's the idea with this word, affliction. And when I began studying Psalm 119, I have to be honest, when I started this study back in the month of May, I knew right from the start that, of this study that the subject being discussed, as probably all you know, is the Word of God. That the main subject, the main theme, the main idea of Psalm 119 is talking about God's Word, plain and simple. Almost every single verse mentions the Word of God, but as I've studied it more and more, as I've worked through several sections, even as I've gotten to this one, 
I've seen kind of a secondary theme of Psalm 119. Yes, it's about the Word of God first and foremost, but secondly, I think we could say that often he's talking about the Word of God and how it relates to suffering. We could even say the psalmist deals with the Word of God or shows how to handle the Word of God as you experience trials, hardships, and sufferings. Maybe then we could just say in many of the passages of Psalm 119, they show how we should relate to the Word of God as Christians in our lives. As our lives are constantly filled with hardships and sufferings and difficulties on a daily basis. And just to show you that this is kind of a theme run throughout Psalm 119, if you look with me at several verses that we've already hit as we've looked at Psalm 119, look with me at verse 23. Psalm 119, 23 says, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. So people are out to get him. Psalm 119, verse 28, if you just look a few verses down. Psalm 119, verse 28 says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. And then look at verses 41 and 42. This was the last section I've covered. Psalm 119, 41 through 42, we see this suffering. It says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, and your salvation according to your promise. And then verse 42 says this, Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. So that's the setting here too for Psalm 119, 49 through 56. He's suffering. He's going through a trial. And as we continue on, we even see the, the next verse gets more specific. But for some application, we see that Psalm 119 makes it clear that the Bible speaks to our suffering. That it is God and His Word that we need to turn to in our hardships and in our difficulties. We should be challenged to be in the Word when we experience suffering. And as I said, as we move on in this verse, we see that it gets more specific. But we saw in verse 50, if you look again there, Psalm 119, verse 50, it says, This is my comfort in my affliction. This affliction is talking about oppression. It talks about suffering. It talks about misery. We see the psalmist has asked God to do what he said he would do, and then he speaks of his suffering. And he tells us how he's handling it. Verse 50 again says, This is my comfort in my affliction that your promises give me life. He says that what eases him, what relieves him in this suffering, as we have this word comfort, is that God's word restores him and enlivens him in his suffering. The psalmist is saying that even though he's going through this difficulty, he can go through it with peace, with a sense of ease, with solace because of God's word. God's word brings comfort for the psalmist in his hardship because he knows that it gives him strength while he's feeling down. It gives him hope while he feels hopeless. We're going to consider some more application as we move on and come to this word comfort, actually again in our passage. But verse 51, we get some more specifics. We see that yes, he's suffering, but now we see specifically what's he suffering with. If you look with me at verse 51. Psalm 119 verse 51 says, The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not, but I do not turn away from your law. So he's dealing with affliction, and then specifically here he says the insolent. 
This word insolent speaks of someone who doesn't believe in God. They're someone who has no respect for God, and they persecute those who do. They're someone who has no respect or a belief in God, but they persecute those who do. And even further, the psalmist speaks of what they do to him. He says, they utterly deride me. This word deride speaks of ridiculing. It speaks of mocking someone. And look again at verse 51. He's not just saying it's a quick comment against him. He's not saying that's a one-time thing. But he says, they utterly deride me. They do this often and constantly is what this word utterly means. They won't let up. They continue and continue to insult and hurt and ridicule the psalmist. And this is very similar to what we found in our previous section of Psalm 119. If you look again at verse 42, going back to a section we dealt with a couple Sunday mornings ago, verse 42 says, Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. Who taunts me. So very similar setting here, very similar situation. The psalmist is dealing with a persecutor. He's dealing with an insulter, someone who seeks to ruin his reputation with their with their words. And I went into a ton of detail, a ton of even application with this in this section before, so I won't rehash all that. But I simply want to ask you this evening, as we think about this setting the psalmist is dealing with, have you dealt with someone who has constantly insulted you? Are you dealing with someone who's doing this right now? And if so, this is a section that you can relate with. You can relate with the psalmist as he deals with this suffering. And we see that the psalmist can actually be an example to you in your suffering. So the suffering is further detailed. And then he tells us in the second half of verse 51 how he handles it. He's already said he's comforted. He's relieved. But then in verse 51 we get something else. Or we see how he handles it. Look again with me at verse 51. It says, The insolent utterly deride me but I do not turn away from your law. So he's dealing with affliction, someone seeking to tear him down, and he tells us what he does, or more so, what he does not do. He says, I do not turn away from your law. This person is seeking to derail him, to tear him down, to pull him down, or to pull him away from his faith, but the psalmist won't give in. He won't let this persecutor get to him. He will continually to he will continue to faithfully follow the word of God. When you think about it, I think there's two ways that he could have been turned away from the law of God. The first is by maybe retaliating and doing the same thing to this person that he had done to him. He could insult him back, seek to cause him pain, lash out with hurtful and painful words. And in so doing, he would be sinning by getting revenge, by retaliating. So the application for us is, is this how you respond to those who seek to tear you down? Conform to their ways. Do what they do. Let your anger get the best of you. Or do you stay true to the word, endure through it, continue to obey God even when it's hard? But I think there's another way that the psalmist could have been tempted to turn away from the law of God, and he would have been sinning. And this is or we see that this persecutor seems to be attacking him specifically because he believes in God and follows him faithfully. The psalmist could have said, enough is enough. This isn't worth it. 
He may not have been willing to endure the consequences of his faith in that this person is questioning him, he's accusing him, he's telling lies about him to tear him down. The pressures of the persecution could cause him to stop following God and his word. He could have just walked away from the faith or not lived in a way of, or in the way of obedience. So again, I'd ask, is this you? Maybe you haven't even faced the persecution yet, but you're scared it will come. So you choose not to obey God with those people or in those places that you're scared that you deal with this persecution. I think kids and teens, this might be very relevant for you as you think about school. Are you scared of losing friends or being made fun of so, that you, so you don't make it known that you believe in God? When you're at school, you seek to fit in so no one else knows. Is that you? Does your fear of persecution cause you to turn away from God's law? But then secondly, maybe, maybe you do follow God. You obey Him. But you start to be ridiculed. You've been insulted, mocked for your belief in God. You've been made fun of because of things you're not willing to do because of your faith. And you just can't put up with it anymore. And you give in and you live in a way that is not faithful to God and his word so that the persecution stops. We see the psalmist can be an example to you of enduring through persecution and continuing to obey the word of God. His suffering does not deter him. He continues to follow the word of God despite suffering. So we see the commitment to the word of God in the psalmist in the midst of suffering. So in the first three verses, we saw how the psalmist calls God to continue his word. And now we see the psalmist mentions how he remembers the word of God, which was written many, many years ago. And this section is in Psalm 119, verses 52 through 54. So as I said, God remembering something and us remembering something is very different. Having God call to mind something is very different than us calling to mind something. God does not forget. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing and does not need his memory jogged. While we need to be constantly reminded, we forget, we ignore, we lose things and need to be reminded so that we can remember. So though here we get the second instance of this word remember, it's now used for the psalmist himself. And it's used in a different way where the psalmist is calling his own mind to remember the word of God. If you look with me at verse 52, Verse 52 says, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. So as I mentioned in the beginning, if you have the ESV in front of you, you don't have this word remember, but you have the, you have the phrase to think of. Okay? And I think we do well to use the word given in the other translations as it's the same word in the original text or in the original Hebrew text, this word remembers. We find in verse 52 or in verse 49 and verses 55. So we see the psalmist says, when I think of or when I remember, when I call to mind, when the word of God is brought to my mind. So the first point that I want to make as we consider verse 52 is just this simple phrase, when I think or when I remember, as it points out to us the reality that God's word is not always on our minds. That is the thing that we'll see he is remembering. But we see that it is not always readily on his mind. 
And that is when he needs to actively remember it and put it on his mind. Our minds, if you think about it, our thoughts are on other things. They're on our plans for the days, our jobs, our responsibilities that need done, maybe a situation that we need to address, maybe something that's causing us anxiety. Maybe it's a sinful thought or it's thinking about someone else. Not all these things are bad, but ultimately if we're thinking about these things, our minds are not filled with the scriptures. So here the psalmist is saying that he remembers. He calls to mind, he recollects the scriptures. We might ask, how can we do this? How can we call to mind the word? What can help us do this? And maybe one of the best ways is to have God's word memorized so that even years after we've memorized it, we've worked on it to have it in our minds, we can call it to mind at any time. But also another way is just sitting the written word of God in front of us to remind ourselves of what God says in his word. Or maybe another way is just doing what we're doing here this evening, sitting under the teaching and the preaching of God's word to fill our minds with what the word of God says. So ask us, which of these are you actively doing? Are you memorizing God's word on a daily basis so you can, can readily call it to mind? Are you reading the word of God intentionally and thoughtfully so that you're thinking about it, you're considering it even later on in the day? And also, are you listening as the word is preached? So the application for us as we think about this word, remember, for ourselves, is we need to actively and intentionally think on God's word. We need to call it to mind often, as often it's not on our minds. We need to remember God's word. We'll move on to the next phrase in verse 52 as we consider how the psalmist remembers God's word, and we see that it has to do with how he describes God's word. If you look again at verse 52, it says, When I think of your rules from of old, when I think of your rules from of old. And this is a unique way that we haven't seen the Word of God referred to or described as so far in Psalm 119. He has described it as your rules, but it's the three words that come after it. He says, your rules from of old. He's speaking of how the Word of God was written many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago. For us, it's thousands of years ago. When you think about reading, just even in your general life, not necessarily the Bible, but other things that you might like to read, it can be a draw to read the latest and the newest things in print. Okay, Certainly a newspaper, you want the newest. You want the most latest newspaper so that you're up on the news. But even if you think about other books, other books that you might be interested in, I think of um, specifically more theological books. It's often the older books. It's the books that have been written maybe a couple hundred years ago that I have found are the most valuable books to read. I get the most out of them. They, they really challenge me in my understanding. And even as I've studied Psalm 119, the books that are written about that, called commentaries, it's actually the older ones that I've found to be the most helpful. The most helpful is actually, it was written in 1861 has been the most helpful commentary as I've studied Psalm 119. And I talk about that and I bring up other books because here we're talking about an old book. 
We're talking, the psalmist says, your rules from of old. These things have been, been written many, many years ago. And the psalmist isn't saying this in a degrading way. But I believe the point we get from this description of the word is that God's word has been tested with time. And it's still very relevant, even though it's ancient. So some try to say the Bible is out of date. It no longer applies. It's not relevant to us. But we're challenged to view the Bible as the psalmist does and have confidence in it for our lives in today's world, even though it was written many, many years ago. So I'll ask you to consider, how do you view the Bible? Do you view it as some old book that really has nothing for us today? Or is this a book in your eyes that, though written a while ago, is still a book to center your life around? We should be challenged from the psalmist's example to view it in this latter way. So we see that the view carried out in how he uses, uses it in the last phrase of verse 52, if you look with me there. It says, When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. So we're told that the psalmist comforts himself with the word of God. That he remembers the word of God in his struggle, and his suffering. If you remember the setting of this section of Psalm 119, he's dealing with someone who's persecuting him, someone insulting him. And we see that the psalmist comes to the word of God and is comforted. And here we find the same word that was used already in this section of Psalm 119, this word comfort, repeated. We find it mentioned for a second time, and we're actually going to see something very similar, though the word's not used. We're going to see a similar concept in verse 54. We see how God's word can bring comfort, it can bring relief, strength, and consolation in the midst of our hardships. How it can restore us, it can bring us out of our misery and despair. How God's word can revive us and strengthen us in our affliction. And specifically here, it is comfort when we've been hurt Maybe we've been destroyed, just knocked down by someone's insults and words of destruction. And I, we can say from this verse that in our places of despair and misery and affliction, we might feel so down, we might feel destroyed, we might feel helpless and hopeless that we believe nothing can bring us out of how we feel. And yet we see here we can look to the Word of God, we can read the Word of God, think on the Word of God, meditating upon it, and we can be comforted. I want to just give you an illustration from the Scriptures. I think of the prophet Elijah. Okay? It's a familiar story about Elijah up on Mount Carmel. He, we could say he had a spiritual high, or he had an amazing experience on Mount Carmel. He was the victorious prophet. God showed that he was the one true and only God up on Mount Carmel. If you think of the story afterwards, we see that Elijah gets a death threat put on him by the queen at the time, Queen Jezebel. She says she wants to kill Elijah. And we see the story afterwards, Elijah runs for his life and he tells God that he wants to die. Elijah wasn't only anxious for his life, but we see in some of how he acts, um, some of the ways he responds, that we could say that he was depressed. And we see how he's woken out of it how he's woken up out of his despair and his misery by one thing. And you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read for us. In 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13, God comes to him. And this is what God says to him. 
1 Kings 19, 11 through 13 says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah is depressed. He's anxious. He's scared for his life. He, he wants to die. He wants God to take his life. And God takes him out on this mountain. And we see it's God's word that brings Elijah out of his depression. We're told there was a low whisper. That's the word of God. That is what revives him. It gives him purpose. It puts him on the right track. We see Elijah is like our psalmist in Psalm 119. He's persecuted. The queen at the time literally says she wants to kill him. He's being persecuted by her. And we see how the word of God comforts him and revives him in his despair. So the application for us from verse 52, is that we too need to run to God's word for comfort. We too need to look to God's word for di direction in our depression. We too need to have confidence in God's word that was written thousands of years ago to help and to bring hope to our present situations. Think about it for a moment. What do you look to for comfort in the midst of suffering? Is it a friend? Maybe it's a spouse. Is it a hobby just to get your mind off it? Is it your work? Or is it the word of God that you run to and read and meditate on for comfort in your trials? So that was, that's what the first verse of this second section is talking about. We see the psalmist remembering. He's calling to mind the word. And then we see how it brought comfort to him. And now we see an instance of the psalmist's commitment to the word in another instance of the comfort. If you look with me at verse 53, we see this commitment first. Verse 53 reads, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So we saw something similar said in verse 51 when it said, The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. So he's talking about his persecutor. He's talking about those who are um, insulting him. And here in verse 53, the psalmist is saying he's enraged by those who do not follow the word of God. It makes him furious. That's what he's talking about when he says this hot indignation. He is furious. But I want you to notice what enrages him, okay? I think this is key to understand. Notice what enrages him. It's not his hurt it's not the injustice. It's not the pain that he has been caused by their insults. It's not the destruction of his reputation or maybe the changes that these comments have made to his life. But it's the fact that they have not kept God's word. That's what enrages him. He's upset because God's law has been broken. He is upset for God's sake, not his own. You think about if someone makes a hurtful comment to you, you're probably ticked off that they said such a thing about you, that they would be so bold to say that about you. But we see that's not what 
ticks him off. That's not what makes him enraged, but it's that they don't keep the word of God. And I think what we find here is remarkable. It's uncommon. We just don't naturally respond this way when someone says something against us or persecutes us. So I want us to think, is God and his word and his plans and his glory your concern when someone insults you, when someone's doing this to you? Or is your concern simply about yourself, how your reputation has been destroyed, how you've been hurt, the pain you feel? We see the psalmist's concern seems to be God and his word, not his own hurt, his own misery, which we, we, which we certainly know he was going through. The psalmist also does not seem to be vengeful. If you think about this verse, it doesn't seem like he wants the destruction of his persecutors. He seems to be zeroing in on the fact or zeroing in on their sin and their disobedience to the word of God. And that's what enraged him. That is what he hates. It's not that he hates that person or is against them, but he hates what they are doing. Similar to what we find in Proverbs 8.13, it says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So from this verse, we see even further and greater the psalmist's commitment to the word of God. So what do we learn here? We should be challenged by the psalmist's example yet again. His suffering certainly does not cause him to turn from the Lord, but it seems to strengthen his commitment to God and his word all the more. He is caused to be enraged by the sin they have committed, to be concerned for God and his word being broken. We too should be challenged when people hurt us and sin against us to think about who they're ultimately offending, who they're ultimately hurting, and that is God. We too should be challenged to not be consumed with our own hurt or even hate the person because the reality is we sin, we do wrong, we hurt others. So we should be challenged to use the times other people hurt us to think about the destruction of sin, to think about how they are not following and rebelling against God and his word. And even when these types of things take place, when someone persecutes us, we should seek to use the times others sin against us as times that we grow more committed and loyal to keeping the word of God, to see what they've done, to see the consequences of what they've done, and to be more committed and faithful to the word of God, to think about the good that could come from others' sins if we approached our hurt and persecution in this way, rather than being offended, that it grows us in our committedness and obedience to the Bible. That's a different way of handling persecution. So that's where we see the psalmist's commitment. Now, as we look down at verse 54, we see again this comfort, this idea of comfort from the word of God mentioned yet again. Look with me at verse 54. Verse 54 says, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. So now we've seen the word comfort mentioned twice. We don't see it in this verse, but I think the idea is here. The idea here is that God's word brings him joy. That's what he's talking about singing in these songs. He speaks of singing songs, that he's joyful, that he's glad. We see this idea of comfort, this revival, that he's singing for joy in the midst of his suffering and trials. The phrase, in the house of my sojourning, 
Okay, brings us actually back to the third section of Psalm 119. We won't go back and read those verses, but we saw the word sojourner, which is speaking of staying somewhere temporarily, not belonging, with the idea that he feels alone at this time. So we see this comfort drilled home for yet a third time in this section, that the Word of God brings comfort in the midst of suffering. And I'll just simply ask you, are you looking to it for comfort? Are you getting in the Word when you're experiencing persecution? Are you coming to hear the Word taught and preached while you're experiencing suffering? This is what ultimately can bring restoration in your feelings of despair. This is what can bring relief to your misery caused by others. The Word of God can bring purpose when you feel despaired. Now we come to our third and our last section, and we find this final instance of this word, remember, in verse 55. Okay, in our third section, we find that the psalmist remembers God's name and continues to obey God's word. So again, similar, similarly to the previous section, the psalmist says he remembers or he calls to mind something. And this time, we could say it's slightly different, though I'd say it's more specific. As he says in verse 55, if you look with me there, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. So in the previous section, he says he remembers God's word by saying your rules from of old. Here he says he remembers God's name. By speaking of God's name, he's speaking of his attributes, his reputation, his works that are written and recorded in the word of God. So he is remembering God's word. That is the source in how he knows anything about God. So he brings to mind the scriptures that speak about who God is and what he has done. We are also given the specific time he remembers. If you look again at verse 55, it says, I remember your name in the night. We're not told specifically why that's brought up, that he's remembering it in the night. Maybe that's the time that he's specifically struggling with these painful insults. Maybe he just can't sleep due to his suffering. Either way, we see the focus here in verse 55 is that in this time, in this place, God and his word are on his mind. So my question to us is, how often do we do that? How often do you just sit and you ponder who God is? Thinking to yourself, this is what God's word says about his character, about what he values, about what he's done. And you just think about that and meditate on that. Ask us, is this something you do often? Is this something maybe you never do? And we see from the psalm that this is something we need to do. The psalmist sets an example of it and we see what it leads to. It leads him to obey God's word. Again, if you look at verse 55, he says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. So we see yet again the psalmist's commitment to the word. He said we see his comfort and his commitment, and here we see his commitment, how he's faithful to keeping God's word. We saw this in verse 51, and then again in verse 53. And now we see here in verse 55, and we'll see it again in verse 56, but meditating on God and who he is and what he's done has caused him to want to obey him. We see how a knowledge of God and thinking about what we know about God can lead to a greater commitment to his ways. So application, I'll ask us to consider, does your knowledge of God lead you to follow God? 
Does your knowledge of God lead you to follow God? As you sit, he, sit here each and every Sunday, as you hear Bible messages week in and week out, and we're learning about God, is your life changed? Does what you learn from the pulpit cause you to live differently? Does your Bible knowledge translate into godly living? And we see it does for the psalmist, and it should do the same for us. Come to our last verse. If you look with me at verse 56, it says, This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. So the psalmist is saying this. He's talking about keeping God's word has come to him because he kept God's word, which simply means once he obeyed God's word, more and more he obeyed his word. It became a continuation in his life. Once he obeyed God's word, it made it easier. It became a pattern. It became a routine to obey the word of God. That because he obeys, it makes it easier to obey. And it becomes a lifestyle for him. It becomes something that he consistently, do, consistently does. Not that he's perfect. This doesn't mean he never sins, but obeying God's word lends itself to obeying it in the future. So once again, we see this commitment to the Word of God. So in closing, I just want to point out the three main subjects that we've found in this section. Okay, we've kind of outlined it with this word, remember. We saw how the word remember was repeated three times. The psalmist presents an example of calling to mind the Word of God and His suffering. So I'll ask us to consider this evening, do you call to mind the Bible as you go through difficulties. Second, we saw another subject, and it's that word, comfort. The psalmist was relieved, and he was revived by the word in the face of hardship. My question for us to consider is, do you run to the Bible for comfort in the face of hardship? And then the last, maybe we'd say theme, or the subject is this committedness to the word of God in the psalmist. So my question for us to consider is, do you faithfully obey the word as you go through suffering? Let us just close in a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I just thank you for the time that I could study and just look into this section of Psalm 119, Lord. And I just thank you for the messages or the, the lessons that we learn from this section of Psalm 119. Lord, ultimately a challenge to center our lives around your word, to both be comforted by your word as we go through times of despair because of maybe things people have said to us as people persecute us, make fun of us, ridicule us. Lord, I pray that we would run to your word for comfort, to be relieved. And Lord, I pray also that you would give us a committedness in the face of our difficulties, help us to be committed, to be faithful, to not stray from your word, Lord. I pray that you would help us to remember your word daily, to think about it all throughout our days as we do many different things, as we think many thoughts. I pray that your word would be on our minds and we would bring it to our minds uh, quite often. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how it was written many, many years ago, but it's still very applicable, very relevant, and speaks to our lives and our difficulties today. And in your name I pray, amen.